Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast, souping up the homo sapien. Hello, dear humans, and welcome to another Level Up Human Extra. We should have had a normal episode out this week, but as you can probably tell, something pandemic y has kind of got a little bit in our way. So instead, partly so I can see Rachel's well, her face and her living room. We've gone on Zoom again to perhaps talk about some of the things that our audience keeps bringing up at our live events and over Twitter. How are you today, Rachel? I'm I'm reasonably well, thank you. I'm bearing up okay. What are we now? This is week seven or something of lockdown. I can't even remember anymore. I don't know what day it is. I don't know if weeks exist anymore. Uh, I saw a very good cartoon of a, of a calendar the other day. And as a person was trying to reinterpret it, it was basically... It got to April and then was kind of shredded. <laughs> <laughs> like a Banksy print that's just been bought at auction. Perfect. That's a good enough. Actually, that's as good a way of thinking about time full stop. Um, my time has been spaghettified. It's basically, are the children annoying me right now or not? That's the two distinctions. So what you're saying is, is it day or night? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> should we do some news first or should we do that afterwards, actually? Yes, let's do let's do news first, because there's some there's some very exciting stuff happening. If you're a massive fan of uh, multi-billionaire space cadet Americans like I am. Well, that has, yeah, you are, aren't you? Like, I find this so, so strange because... You know, there's there's nothing about you that really screams capitalist pig dog, and yet, Rachel. And yet, yeah, I think this is your equivalent of a bad boy, isn't it? Like, you know, the way some people kind of like the sort of, oh, it's a, it's a well-known thing, isn't it? Like, why, why Alan Rickman, basically, and as the sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, is the sexiest man alive. It's because he's evil. Um, and you've just kind of applied that to well, the market. You have to you have to just scale these things up. If, if some people find it attractive when... Uh, people sit astride motorbikes i just prefer it when they're sitting astride uh falcon x space rockets or is it falcon <laughs> 9 space rockets i pay very little actual attention to this but it just appeals to me somehow i don't know why anyway so elon musk my favorite one of these people 
has is is he actually because i've always thought that jeff jeff bezos was so your favorite oh yeah he's totally my no 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 musk is far more interesting than bezos although bezos will probably win in the end and that's why i like musk because musk will probably explode eventually no actually we can't just we can't gloss over why you think Bezos is going to we, win. We can gloss over why I think. No, and we what? also, what do you mean by he's going to win? What are we talking about? Your, your hearts and your affections? Or are we talking about... <laughs> now look, Simon, we've, we've, had this, we've had this conversation so many times. Let's not, let's not get too into the deep psychology of why I like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. I just find it interesting. No, I was, I was questioning... It's not a sex thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, hold on, I'm, no, whatever, whatever is in your personal life, that is between you and your internet service provider. Look, I'm just asking in terms of why it's the order I'm confused mm. about. Why you said as if Bezos is going to win, what well, he's going to win? Okay, right. So Bezos is going to win because he is the tortoise and Elon Musk is the hare. So much so that his space rockets have tortoises on them for exactly that reason. I think it's because basically tortoises are animals which have got excess packaging. So that's got Amazon written all over it. There we go. You've cracked it. Musk has sent 60 satellites into space, low orbit space, this week, bringing the total in his starlight constellation to 420. Now, for Hitchhiker... Starlink, not Scarlet. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. Starlink. Thank you. He's now got 420 Starlink satellites in his constellation, which for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fans is significant because it is related to the number 42. And this is about just under half of what he thinks is necessary to make this system actually economically viable. Once he's got a thousand satellites in low orbit around the Earth, he's going to be able to sell us all high-speed internet connections. That's the that's the very boring result of what all of this is for. It's all for just faster. It's all for 6G, essentially. The point of Starlink is high-speed internet from space. And that's what Musk is doing now. Meanwhile, Bezos is, is also keen to do this, but hasn't actually started yet. But what he did get this week was an agreement with the government that he could continue with his space exploration company, Blue Origin, even despite social distancing laws. So it turns out astronauts are key workers. Okay, now bearing in mind that Starlink is real and is in the sky right now, and you can see it at certain times of day. Have you actually say certain times of day? That's mainly night, isn't it? Yeah, presumably. At certain types of night. Um, have I looked? Have you for actually it? been out to have a look? I yeah. haven't actually. No, but then I live in London, so gazing up into the night sky is something I I have just completely given up on. It's not something that's ever going to reveal anything to me, unfortunately, apart from the nearest streetlights. Oh, I don't know. I take my kids out regularly to look at the big orange glow. Oh, that's nice. I'm sure they enjoy it. I might. I, I should have thought of that for my kids. Actually, they'd probably. I mean, occasionally <laughs> we get the moon, but that's a bit. You know, <laughs> that's kind of it. Anyway, I don't want to spend too much time talking about billionaire space cowboy capitalists, but you know, it's it's interesting that. These things are happening and seem to be allowed to continue to happen whilst everybody else has to stay in their homes. I'm right in thinking there's actually a sort of noble intention, at least, because it's trying to bring the internet to people who, who don't have it, like mainly a lot of the less economically developed countries. It's a way of trying to, because, you know, I can just plug into my, my Wi-Fi and if the gods of Virgin Media allow, then it's fine. There was actually a Canadian company who were trying to do the same project for that reason, like actually to connect remote communities. But they've in fact recently folded. 
So the sky is now open to the the big dogs in this race, and uh, I hope that they will prioritise that. I keep waiting for one of these billionaires to make a massive cock up and say that they're just creating this this sky net, which will put into everybody's head, (laughs) you know, Terminator 2 and Judgment Day. In other news related to the pandemic and technology, the social distancing that exists around the world is accelerating automation, apparently, and people are happier to have robots doing their jobs than they might have been had this not happened. Yeah, and to that end, actually, I was bringing along a bit of a news story as well. It's a wee bit out of date now because it's been running for a little while. But as of the 7th of March in Wuhan in China, they had a whole ward of 200 plus patients of COVID-19 being dealt with by robots. Now, these were robots that were kind of able to deliver food, drinks, drugs, and they kept the, the kind of whole place warm as well. Some of them even had sort of humanoid heads and torsos and things. Some of them have been used to sort of spray disinfectant and keep the ward clean in order to make sure the doctors and things can get on with their jobs. This is fascinating. Um, Well, at least one of the robots that's involved in this, because there's a whole set, they've got a robotic arm, which doctors can control in a separate room and has been able to use to take swabs from patients' mouth to do ultrasounds and give a listen to the organs even. This is probably the way forward for anything which is dangerously, dangerously infectious. What's interesting is that robots are doing things which you imagine when you see footage of robots, you sort of imagine something quite clumsy and quite clunky. But robots are more and more being used to do things which require so steady a hand that they are more reliable than humans on their own. Like they're using them to do breast surgery at the moment by steadying surgeons' hands so that So essentially, the number of surgeons who can do this very careful capillary sort of reattachment involved in breast surgery is very low. But with robot augmentation, so robots to steady the hands of the surgeons, you can can increase the number of surgeons who can do these operations massively. And the other thing, of course, is is human error and fatigue. Like I know Mm. that a a robot is only as good as the thing controlling it, but it also means you can kind of have uh, safety measures, you say there like avoiding um, stuff like any kind of tremor or shake or for stuff which is so fine, it's just a matter of scale. I mean, if we can get these machines to operate on the micro level that we can't, then they're doing something really rather special. It's kind of cool. It's really cool. So should we should we talk about flight? Because this comes up a lot in our live recordings. Audiences are always saying we want to be able to fly. That's the human upgrade that we need. Yeah, and usually when they do, I tell them, no, you don't stop being stupid. And we've banned it, in fact, because it's just come up so many times. But we've never really discussed how it might be possible for humans to evolve flight, because there is only one mammal that can fly. Oh, well, one, one group of mammals. And when one we say only one... mammals. Because you have to remember that 20% of mammals are these mammals. 20% you know, of mammals are these mammals? Yes. That can fly? Bats. Bats are 20%, 20% of all mammals. 20% of mammals are bats? Yeah, so they're hugely successful. Like we're, we're talking about them as if they're the outlier, but actually they're something which has managed to do really rather well. Flight is handy. Because lots of, there's lots of good reasons for flight, basically, isn't there? The best, best way is you can avoid predators, you can get to new territories, you can do massive migrations. That's one of the really useful things that mm-hmm. uh, we see bird, birds in particular do that. You know, they can go to go north in summer and go south in winter. And do bats do that? Uh, yes, not to the same kind of extent, but 
everything that flies takes advantage of that kind of thing. Consider even some uh, butterflies will travel the lengths of continents. Uh, there's butterflies that we have here in Britain right now and have travelled all the way from Africa. So migration is probably one of the big reasons, um, or maybe not one of the reasons initially for flight, but one of the the big advantages that has opened up suddenly as soon as you can do it. And let's not lie, that's also true of humans. It wasn't until we started flying that mass movement became as as easy as it is. That's very um, true. Every generation of human has travelled probably further than the one that immediately preceded it. And flight is one of the ones that, that pushed it even further. So these mammals, which we're talking about, this group of mammals, which is bats, yeah. they're the ones who can fly of the mammals. And so what we yes. want to do is to work out whether if humans could evolve to fly, we need to become more like bats. Well, so the first thing, and you'll like this one, is that it probably helps being small. Great. I am a pint-sized, half-pint-sized human, as you know, and uh, I'm always keen to hear on things which, hear about things which are based on how great it is to be tiny. So powered flight is the, is the thing which makes bats unique. There are lots of other mammals out there which kind of glide. So you get things like, uh, there's a few types of squirrel which can effectively climb all the way up a tree and jump off and then kind of go soaring as they come on their way down. I would settle for that. I would be quite interested in having a skin flap from the end of my finger to my feet and that would just allow me to glide off buildings. I think that would be great fun. Well, if you've got a multi-purpose for it as well, like if you can use it as a bit of a kind of babushka-style coat. Yep, and I could sleep upside down with it wrapped around me. That's one of the reasons why the squirrels have this. And we also find things like there's a couple of frogs which can kind of do this kind of gliding. There's a, one of the Wallace frog and it's got huge, enormous, stretchy out fibres between its fingers and its toes. So gliding is much more common. And we like there's there's sort of two main theories as to how flight evolved in the birds. And one of them is kind of the ground up approach, which would have meant that they'd kind of really peg it along the ground, something really fast moving, stick out their arms, stick out their um, wings, as it were, and take off. Uh, and that theory is wrong, um, according to me. Uh, <laughs> the reason is because I, I, there's basically there's two competing theories, and I massively prefer the other one personally, which was the kind of top-down approach. Which is you jump off a building, and eventually some of you manage to make it to the ground, and those ones survive to uh, breed, right? Well, it's it's the thing of there have been reasons why being up high and then jumping down was much more likely, okay? And my main reason for believing that is there's a really cool... It's, it's like, maybe, am I going to say this is my favourite bird? It might be. There's a really cool bird from Venezuela called the Hotsun. And the babies have little claws, which they use for climbing trees. And that might show us a little bit of the ancestry of the birds. Mm -hmm. And they climb the trees as they can't fly up there when they're really tiny. And if they fall off, then they can kind of glide down. So you can see how falling would be a step to gliding rather than That's running and putting your arms the out. rest of my afternoon gone watching videos of that happening on YouTube. Uh, they're, they're awesome. Like they basically look, if, if Johnny Rotten was a bird, that's what they'd be like. They've got a whole punk attitude to them. There are birds and things out there which do have to do the sort of running approach, um, basically because they're massive. So mm. this is the whole reason I'm telling this is because if we were going to fly, the key for us would be having a run up, having a runway, the way that most of our planes need, and being able to properly peg it. When you look at something like a, a swan, Right, one of the reasons they can actually fly, in spite of the fact they're massive, is they've got a beautiful runway in the form of water. Water tends to be nice and smooth. Mm. Yeah, there's not a, nothing to really to trip over. 
There's nothing you're going to crash land in. It's really hardcore if you make a mistake. It's a nice smooth surface. So the air that's kind of going in between, perfect for avoiding eddies and turbulence and all that kind of stuff. So the stuff which flies, the biggest things which fly hard and the fastest flyers in the world are the ducks and the geese. It's, it's not the peregrine falcon, as people think. Peregrine falcons are the world's best fallers. So the way that they get extra speed is actually the, they're good enough flyers, but when they want to take something mid-flight, they just close their wings and they really dive bomb. They're using gravity for most of it. Right. The fastest flyers are the ducks and the geese. The people you want, the, the people. The birds you want to be really impressed with are the ones who can take off from a standing start. I mean, not, not literally just from a standing start, but I mean, they start on the ground, they run and they launch themselves off the ground. And perhaps, again, the best example we have of this, if you see, ever see, a, do you know an albatross? Mm-hmm. Now, they've got a massive wingspans. We're talking over two metres here. And sure enough, to take flight very often, they have to jump off cliffs. You know, now, they do big run-ups and jumping off. The but the, problem, the key is their size, so they can soar. The problem with this, uh, according to a thing I was reading this morning, is that if you if you need if you want to be able to flap your wings and sustain flight, you have to have an enormously high metabolic rate. Is that right? Yeah. So there's two sides to that that you need. Um, one is just a way of getting loads of oxygen into you. And again, this is well worth googling. Bird lungs are just the best lungs. I remember when I was uh, doing my undergrad at uni, like I properly, I became a bird lung fanboy. It was my my favourite thing That's for so, so long. such a weird thing to be a fanboy of when it isn't a band. But when you, when you see them, they are just way, way better than us. And actually, again, it's one of those sort of things, if I could just generally pitch more in our show rather than our experts who are amazing and actually know stuff, uh, it might be bird lungs every time because they're just so efficient. Whereas we have to breathe in and then out. They've got a proper circular breathing thing built in. Oh, so not cool. only... Well, yeah, they'd be brilliant on trumpet as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they've got extra space. In fact, some of them even use their hollow bones as kind of storage bits for air. They've got like air sacs that go all the way in there. So they're putting all that empty space to better use, not only is the air that's in the hollow bones light and therefore they can take off easier and fly easier, but it's also connected to their lung system wow that's so cool. say we've got this we've got this thing where we have to go in and out so we've always got we call it like your, your tidal volume and it always means that you're going to have leftover bits of air that you can't shift that well uh, in the harder bits of your lungs and your throat and that kind of thing whereas birds avoid all of that by having a sort of circular motion it also means that if you've got all the air coming into our lungs Whenever your capillaries are growing over the edges of your um, alveoli, the tiny little sacs in your lungs, and filling up with oxygen, they can reach a certain saturation point. Whereas if you've got this through motion, like a counterflow motion, then it's way more efficient. Air is always hitting blood, which has got less oxygen in it. So that's, that's thing number one. You need good lungs. So you have to have a metabolic, you have to have a high metabolic rate to sustain flight. Yeah, it's the energy of beating your wings. And that means that your your body uses itself up quicker, to, to really kind of put this in layman's terms. So you have a much shorter lifespan. Yeah, so like, actually, hold on. just before we move on from lungs, the thing to note is, okay, birds have got amazing lungs. Bats, being our mammal relatives, don't have that same kind of system. Their lungs are pretty much the same as ours, but they are massive. Their capacity is way, way bigger compared 
to anything that's living on the ground. So it's about 60% bigger if you compare it to like a, I don't know, a rat or a mouse or something of a similar size to a bat. Because they need all that oxygen for beating their wings. Yes. Okay. So if we're going to be bigger, the next thing we're going to do is have huge, huge lungs. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So these incredible lungs of a bat also mean that they've got another really strange problem which has emerged in recent years which is pretty much wind turbines can make their lungs explode no way yeah so it seems to be that as the blades move through the air they can cause a drop in pressure which really affects the delicate lungs of bats causing them to suddenly expand and then for bursting the blood vessels you get a similar kind of thing in scuba divers it's known as a barotrauma so it's a change in pressure basically results from this um but yeah, like birds, I don't think have that same kind of problem. So it's vitally important to keep bats out of wind turbine fields. Yeah, and you can hope they can do it themselves. And there's probably ways of doing it with noises that we can't hear, but the bats can. You know, to issue a bit of a warning, don't come anywhere near here. That that must be extremely high frequency sound. Must be played in all wind turbine fields. That's my. That's what I've declared. Or just Justin Bieber. I think it keeps most things. Just away. Justin Bieber. Just, just, just blast that out at enormous volume. Actually, he's pretty high pitched anyway. That's not far off. Okay, so we've established that in order to be another mammal that can fly, we're going to need to have a high metabolic rate. We're going to need to have massive lung capacity, and then the other interesting thing is that bats have managed to get around the fact that that would make your lifespan shorter. Yeah, they've changed pretty much how their DNA works. So the first thing we've got to examine here is what's the connection between metabolic rate and lifespan. And it's pretty much that if you're using oxygen and you're you're using it to liberate energy from your food, then you create lots of these reactive oxygen species or free radicals. That might be something we've heard of that causes damage to your DNA and to your cells and all sorts of other process. So that's the thing that we eat antioxidants for. 
uh, they are one of the things that battle against that. That's why you should always have loads of vitamin C and loads of oranges and loads of fruit and nice vegetables and things to keep us nice and healthy as they help fight these free radicals. So you can say a good diet does fight against things like aging to a small extent, at least anyway. So the bats, they've got about this by having some really cool cellular machinery instead. They've got mechanisms which repair their DNA way better than we can. And this also means that as a result, tons of researchers are looking at bats to see if we can use this biochemistry for other reasons. It could be the kind of thing we could use in treatments against cancer. I think we desperately need this. Well, we just need to be bats. We, we need these DNA repairing mechanisms that they have for sure. Yeah, and it does seem to be that it is connected to flight. But there's another consequence of this, and this is the reason why, again, this is perhaps our link back to uh, the current pandemic, why so many of these nasty diseases and things seem to come from bats. There's at least 12 properly nasty viruses that we know have entered the human ecosystem, as it were, through bats. And we think that one of the reasons is because because bats have this really high, these mechanisms of dealing with their DNA being destroyed and this high metabolism, the viruses and things that infect them have to be able to fight against these mechanisms as well. Yes. So their immune systems are kind of turbocharged and incredibly powerful and effective immune systems. Which means that the virus in this kind of arms race has to be really good at replicating and really good at subverting this as well. So when it jumps from bats to us, we stand very little chance against these things. Exactly. And sure enough, it turns out that most of these things, which are really, really bad for us, don't even make bats visibly sick. Yeah. The only place a lot of these diseases seem to affect bats is whenever they're coming out of hibernation and they're waking up and they're a bit cold. They're in some kind of torpor. So when bats are at a kind of point where they've got a compromised immune system, that's when these diseases might be able to take a hold. But otherwise, they just sort of stay there at subclinical levels and aren't bothering them. So if we're going to be supercharged, we've got this amazing metabolism in order to fly, we're also going to have to change our immune systems to deal with this as well and probably never be hung over. If that's the equivalent of when bats get it. <laughs> that's the equivalent of coming out of hibernation for a bat is me waking up on a Saturday morning with a head full of gin. <laughs> Ugh, horrible. So that's like, okay, we've discovered two things though that we need for flight. If you're going to make a human that's going to fly, it's going to need better lungs. I'd recommend following birds rather than the bats. If you can find a re- way, of, way of rewiring that. We're going to need massive wingspans for things as big as us. So we're going to have to probably copy the kind of pterosaur model. And again, we think the pterosaurs probably glided uh, and took off from a running start rather than climbing up something and falling off. I don't I don't know whether I want gliding, though, as a species upgrade. I think I want actual, like, sustained flight like a bat. Okay, but again, if you're going to do it like a bat, birds and things fly with their arms. Bats are kind of flying with their hands. So bats are flying in constant jazz hands mode. They, they're so fabulous that they're jazz handing so hard that they take off. See, I thought that they had extra bones in their arms, but actually it's longer fingers is what bats have, isn't it? Yeah, so the, the, the pentadactyl limb, that's the word for it, basically the five-fingered limb is something we see consistent across all the mammals, at least, and I think even most of the vertebrates. Like if you look at the, the bones that you find in a whale's forefin, and the bones that you find in a bat's wing, and the bones that you find in a bat in a human's hand, they're all identical. It's just they've kind of grown in different ways and different proportions to different jobs. I see. That's how we could potentially get flight. What, to have massive hands that we can't use anything for? Can you imagine trying to text with the end of your wing, which is now 20 feet away from you, 
because because that's how big you're going to have to be. You would have to increase sure the size of coffee cups by a lot. We're hitting upon the reason why every time somebody suggested flight, I've said, go home and think about it, <laughs> which is not the best thing to say to your audience. I mean, you're always telling the audience to go home and think about it. They never do, <laughs> sadly. Now, that's that's very good. That we have, We've covered uh, a lot there about how we could potentially develop flight, which is excellent. Just a quick one on zoonotic diseases. Diseases that jump from one species to another. How do you actually catch a disease off a bat? Do you have to eat it? So it could well be coming through water drops and sort of stuff. Uh, in the case of COVID-19, for instance, it seems to come from a bat uh, via a pangolin. Have you heard of a pangolin? I have because of COVID-19. So they're kind of known as scaly anteaters. In fact, I want to show you this because I, I, made, a, I made a pangolin model with my four-year-old just the other day. <laughs> I just need to describe this for the podcast audience. That's incredible. It's a pine cone with a bit of black plasticine on the front and two googly eyes and a nose. And it's absolutely adorable. And it's pretty much spot on because they're known as the scaly anteater. They are sometimes even, a lot of people, we mistake them for reptiles because they've got these scales. They're made of keratin, the same kind of stuff that makes up our hair and things like uh, the rhino's horn. There's eight species of pangolin in the world, and they are the world's most illegally traded animal on the planet. So a great many of them are incredibly endangered, and sure enough, it's because some people consider them to be a bit of a delicacy. It is one of those things that is found in some Chinese markets. They are traded illegally, and it seems to be that probably that is what happened here. That was the kind of chain. It's gone from the bat to something that some people have eaten and then ended up Mm -hmm. in humans. But right. what, we, what we're generally seeing here for this zoonosis is that these are these are really nasty diseases because they're not adapted to us. They're adapted to be something else. They're, you know, they don't want to live inside a human. They want to live in their normal hosts. And the places where they make this kind of jump to us are the places where we're destroying their habitat. So, for instance, monkeypox is the kind of thing could well become a trouble in the future because we keep destroying the monkey's habitat. It's almost like, again, we're putting an evolutionary pressure on some of these diseases saying, okay, we're getting rid of all your old hosts if only there was some nice juicy humans or something for you to jump into. So the more human expansion happens, the more disease we're going to force into us, essentially, by taking up too much of our Petri dish. Yeah. And, and I know we, we talked about a lot of this kind of um, xenosis stuff a couple of podcasts ago. And if you want to, you know, listener, if you want to hear that, check it out. But we can see it's it's that thing of the fact that we're now a global village and the fact that we move around so much not only means the diseases come into us, but they can stay in us because there's always going to be new ones. Yeah, it's a modern phenomenon. So, dear listener, that's the reason why if you're going to try and suggest flight, you shouldn't. I, I would look angry, but I'll be angry. What we'll do is next time someone suggests flight, we'll just direct them back to this episode and just say, you don't know what you're asking for. We've covered all of this. Well, it's also, okay, like, so- I think one of the main bits, and I think we might have said this before, actually, is that even if you could fly, it'd be knackering. You know, yeah. you were saying you don't, you don't want like gliding. going for a jog. Don't tell me you want to do the entire thing with your arms. Yeah. So I'm for that. But actually, before we go, we should let people know what's what's coming up in the future. We've got new patrons and new stuff. Do you want to tell the people about that, Rachel? I want to say a big hello to Thomas Hornigold. I met him recently. We were talking podcasting yeah. over the internet. And he's very kindly joined our Patreon 
octopus tier. So we have an octopus now, which is exciting. <laughs> we have multiple tardigrades, but only one octopus. So if you want to explore all six Patreon tiers, you can do you can do that at patreon.com forward slash level up human. So tell us about Thomas. Tell us about our octopus. Thomas runs a podcast called Physical Attraction, which which is a bit like Level Up Human, but for physics, and I highly recommend it. I mean, it's not like Level Up Human in that it's not a panel show. It's it's mostly it's mostly him talking about physics, but it's fascinating. He's done an entire episode on why it's a really bad idea to say that you would take the opportunity to live forever. Oh, oh, come on, come on. We are going to have so many arguments. You can't drop that as the one person... Every audience, again, we've had about this is wrong. You're literally the only person who thinks this is a good idea. And Thomas absolutely, completely proves that why I am right about this uh, I, in I, one of his podcast episodes. I don't want him anymore. That's it. No, it can go away. Does he not know how good <laughs> octopuses are at regeneration? Octopuses should live for... I'm going to stop. This is... This is- this is the problem I'm battling with with this podcast. I am trying to build the audience and Simon Watt is is sending every <laughs> single one of our audience members away. <laughs> now, well, um, genuinely, thank you, Thomas. And let's, let's have this fight online somewhere. I'm pro-living forever. And I guess if you don't want to live, or, live forever and I live forever, I win. I'm not going to get into that now. Anyway, what else have we got coming up? <laughs> Well, there's two things because there's places where you can find me online at the minute. So first of all, I did a series for Greenpeace with Sophie Duker called Ocean Witness a while ago. Um, and they're all up and online and available now. So if you go to YouTube or if you're in China, go to your version of uh, of Netflix. I forget its name. We're kind of all over the place. Look for it and you'll find it. I'm dead chuffed of how it turned out. And it was just really nice to see the science that goes on on some of their ships. If you want some live me and you want to do something which is a bit weird, Johnny Berliner, the uh, science troubadour, uh, pioneer of geek pop, and I, we have a anarcho-nerd pub quiz called Universally Challenged. We did our first one online as we couldn't be at Edinburgh Science Festival a couple of weeks ago, and we're doing another one this coming Sunday. That is Sunday the 3rd. Look us up on Eventbrite, Google, Universally Challenged. And I'm sure you'll find us. And I've got an event about a month away, actually. It's on May the 25th, and it is to celebrate International Towel Day. Towel Day. Right, International Towel Day. Basically, it's an anniversary of Douglas Adams' death, who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And on Towel Day, people carry a towel to uh, remember him and, and celebrate the books. And I started a gig in 2017, which Simon was at and performed at which was to sort of have a bit of a, a knees up at the end of this big, hard, long day of towel carrying. <laughs> and this year we're doing uh, the show online in collaboration with Save the Rhino. So if you Google Save the Rhino Towel Day, you will find Stay In for Towel Day, which is a an evening of entertainment with a lot of comedians doing homages to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Well, if ever there was a time we needed the phrase, don't panic, this is surely it. Absolutely correct. Um, while we're on Tal Day, have you ever have you ever been to his grave? No, I haven't. I should take a biro, shouldn't I, and put it in yeah. the little pen pot that there's probably there. Well, I can never tell if people take if they if they leave the biros or they take the biros or again if there's some kind of whole ecosystem of uh, biros going to and forth. I did not take or receive a biro. I just liked it. Thought the idea was lovely. It is lovely that people put pens on the graves of authors. It's a it's a very very cute thing. I must I must at some point do that. Bye bye. Bye. That was Level Up Human. 
Hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheely, and supported by the Physiological Society. For more information, go to levelupyouman.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.